First of all, I want to open us up in prayer, and then I want to just talk through these. And I'm, I'm down here because this is more teaching than it is preaching. And I told him earlier, I said, I'm just not comfortable being up there. That's a preaching. That's the place of preaching and proclaiming God's word. And I see this as a place of, of teaching. And so uh, that's why I'm down here. But let me open us up in a word uh, of prayer, and then we will look at these 12 characteristics. Lord God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you for the beauty of the day. I thank you for the rain you've sent this week. And Lord, I pray, or last week, I pray, Lord, for that you would just speak to us. I pray, Lord, that we would hear from you. I pray that we would seek you and hunger and thirst for you. And Lord, that we would just hear clearly from you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. And so a lot of times we get, whether it be a new church year or we're looking for pastor like we're doing now and or, or there's some change within the church and those are always good times to evaluate what are we doing as a church how healthy are we as a church and sometimes we just need uh, some tools a guideline to just kind of to help us monitor to see where are we in our church health obviously regardless of where we are in our church health we can always do better. We can always, what I mean by that is we can always become more Christ-like. Uh, we never completely arrive this side of heaven. And so we can always improve what we're doing. And sometimes, even though we may have worked on something early on and we start working on some other things, the first thing we worked on now needs some uh, attention to where it gets bit pulled back up to speed. And so these are some, these are, this, this 12 characteristics of a healthy church that we're going to talk about tonight. This is not an exhaustive list, but these are 12 characteristics that um, healthy churches have displayed. And this whole uh, 12 list came from uh, David Platt when he was with the International Mission Board. Uh, he, he shared a, a sermon and this was written about, but kind of a summary of some things that what are we looking to plant when we plant new churches? whether that be here in the U.S. or abroad. What, what are the things that need to be a part of a healthy church? And so uh, that's where this summary comes from. And so what, what is a healthy church? Obviously, we're not talking about the structure. We're talking about the people uh, that is the church. And so we want to look at these 12 characteristics uh, that are shared by healthy churches. So the first of them would be biblical evangelism and so the church comes from a greek word that means an assembly or called out ones and so uh, romans 10 14 and 15 we're talking about evangelism romans 10 14 and 15 say how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how will they believe in whom they have not heard and how will they hear without a preacher how will they preach unless they are sent just as it is written how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. However, they did not all heed the good news. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our effort? And so our job is not, uh, our job is the proclamation of the good news of the gospel. Our job is to be sharers of how people can have an intimate relationship with Christ. And so it, it's Obviously, we want everyone to trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior, but that's God's job to actually save them. And so our job is to be faithful witnesses. Our job is to be making sure people know, people that we encounter know how they can relate to the Lord Jesus Christ in a very personal and intimate way. There are so many things when you look at uh, the world and the way 
people's worldview and the way they see the world. That some people think, you know, God created us and then just said, y'all, y'all have at it. Uh, there's all these beliefs out there, but the Bible is so clear on how the way we have a personal, intimate relationship with Christ, uh, with God the Father, and that's through Christ. And so our job as believers is to make sure that we are faithfully sharing the gospel. And so a church that is healthy has believers that are sharing the gospel. And usually we know this because there are often responses at the time of worship to people, hey, I led so-and-so to Christ, or hey, our pastor led so-and-so to Christ, or hey, I shared the gospel with three people this week, or man, I didn't get around to it this week, and so I need to be challenged to do it better next week. And so uh, when we see these things in the church and we're talking about evangelism in the church, that's usually a good sign of, of an evangelistic presence. If we never talk about uh, people we, we, we're talking with about the Lord, or man, I've tried this and this and this with my coworker, but that's not work, how would you do it? When, when we're not having those conversations, that's usually an indication that evangelism is lacking in, in our congregation. And so we always want to make sure there's a very uh, heavy presence and conversation, even among the, the time spent in the pews talking to each other, that we are talking about how are we sharing the gospel with other people. And so churches are built uh, through the fervent and faithful proclamation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And therefore, it's the responsibility of the local church to be the mouthpiece of Christ calling all who would come to repentance and a new life. And so it, it's our job as believers to do that. And so there should be that evangelism buzz, if you will, as we meet together talking about how are we sharing the gospel, how are we reaching people, what are some ways we can try maybe different, uh, how are we doing things differently even with what we've experienced, uh, how are we doing things differently to share the good news of the gospel. And so evangelism has got to be very present. Evangelism has got to be uh, the talk of the church. Uh, and it should be evident, obviously, again, by people actually responding. The more we are talking about it, there will typically be more people responding to the gospel when we are talking more about the gospel. So the second thing we're looking at here is biblical discipleship. And a lot of times when we think of discipleship, we think of, okay, what class are we going to do next that we can go through or what Bible study are we going through next? And discipleship is really, that, that is a component of it or can be part of it, but it's more of an interaction. You're walking two or three people in their walk with the Lord. How are they, you helping them take two more steps, one more step, three more steps? And how is somebody helping you take one more step in your walk with the Lord? And that's typically not done in a group of even five or seven, but really two to three maximum where we're, where we're talking about, okay, how is it that I need to grow with my two or three uh, disciple makers and disciple people I'm discipling, how is it that I can help them grow and how can they help me grow uh, in our walk with the Lord? And Matthew 28, 16 and 20 says this, But the eleven disciples proceeded to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had designated. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some were doubtful. And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so a lot of times when people come to Christ or trust Christ as their Savior, uh, we often encourage them to join the local church. Uh, and so... Uh, but often when that happens, 
we don't carry them much further than that. In other words, we're grateful that they joined the church, but typically we don't take them and say, hey, we're so grateful you joined. Uh, do you have people you're meeting with to talk about the Bible? Uh, how can I, and typically this needs to be or should be the person perhaps, uh, the person who actually God used to lead that person to the Lord is often the best, time, best person to disciple that person because you already have that relationship. Now if that's not the case, there may be somebody who shows up and visits and God uses and saves them right here. They don't have a relationship with anybody and so we have to still disciple uh, everyone who, who would come in. And so b biblical discipleship is, is, is the command is to make disciples of all nations. So it's not just converts. We're not just trying to see how many people we can uh, lead to the Lord. That's exciting. But the command is actually to make disciples. And so we want to actually disciple them beyond their coming to trust Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So making disciples of all nations is qualified by two things. They're baptizing them. And then it says teaching them to observe or obey everything He has commanded us. So it's not just that they are saved and they have a relationship with Christ. That's a great beginning. That's a great start. But the command is to make disciple them, uh, to disciples and to teach them everything He has commanded us. And so the things that we have learned uh, uh, over the year, over the years, over the months, that we have been a believer, we can share those things with uh, the disciple and the new believer. So once that believer has declared allegiance to Christ through baptism, it's the responsibility of the local church to be the place where they can come in obedience to Christ's commands. So a healthy church is a group of people intentionally living out the timeless universal truths of the gospel with the context of finite local community. And so, uh, yes, they are part of the big church worldwide, but they are part... Uh, of the local church as well, well, and typically are we a discipled within the local church uh, because that's typically who we spend more time with. Uh, uh, <clears throat> and then, uh, and so discipleship will be very evident. That's, again, the more we have these things and the more they're evident in our congregation, typically there's more discussion about them and how to do them and how to do them well or differently or what we shouldn't do because that didn't work at all. Uh, and so we're evaluating all the time, how are we doing in evangelism? How are we doing in discipleship? And so uh, obviously evangelism uh, leads to discipleship when people come to trust the, the Lord as their personal Lord and Savior. And so then I want to look at, at the third characteristic of a healthy church, and that's biblical membership. And so I'm going to read, uh, this is from 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, 1 Corinthians 12, 18 says, But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased. And so um, we need to know that church membership is not just our name on a roll, but church membership is where God is placing you in a small local group of believers for us to serve Him through that local congregation. And so for someone to say that I go to church at home or by myself, that's not really possible because God now has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as He pleased for a reason. There's a reason He has us meeting together as Waynesville Baptist Church or our local congregation. And so uh, verse 20 says, But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And so membership is not just something where we just come up and say, I want to be a part of you and you're on a, your name is on a piece of paper uh, in an office somewhere. You're a member of a body. 
a, a body of believers. You're associating with that body of believers. You're, you're in, uh, sharing or trying to grow the kingdom of God alongside that body of believers. And so we're not just, uh, we're, we're many members, but we're one body working together. So almost every time the word ecclesia, church, appears in the New Testament, it refers to a particular gathering of Christians in a particular place, just like Waynesville Baptist. This is the people who meet here. Lulaton, where people at Lulaton meet. So it's, it's that body of believers who've, who've committed to be and, and disciple others alongside each other to where they are working together to see the kingdom of God grow. And so they realize and celebrate that they're part of something larger, the universal church that's across uh, all space and time. But the membership is that body is undergirded by an identifiable local membership where queer, clear qualifications and expectations for how they should love and serve uh, God on mission together. And so it's not just I'm sitting here in a pew and I've joined, but how am I serving uh, what giftedness has God given every believer to serve the local church? What gifts, what spiritual gifts has the Holy Spirit given for me to use to serve other believers in the congregation? So membership is important. And I think it's important that we set aside or identify or actually have conversations with new members about what the expectations are. Because if we don't share those things, it can be as little as much as that person's imagined it to be. They may have grown up in church and have a great idea of what membership should look like. They may have grown up in church and have no idea what membership should look like. Uh, and they may not have been a part of any church and have no idea whatsoever or no clue as to that there's other responsibilities to do. And so uh, membership, uh, there has to be set expectations put forward so people know what to do. Uh, we expect you to plug into a small group, Bible study. We expect you to be a part of worship. We expect you to find a place of service somewhere in the congregation, whether it be teaching, choir, singing, whatever, usher, whatever. Uh, so we, we expect these things. And, we, and, and, you, and this is where you tell people, too, about we expect there to be a tithe and offering. We expect these things because you're coming to offer these things, not to us, but you're offering them to God. And this is the place that we as a church gather uh, to do that. So there needs to be expectations with biblical membership. And then we, a fourth characteristic is biblical leadership. And I want to read from Ephesians 4, 11, 13, and it says, And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man to the measure of stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And so... The, the role of the biblical leadership is to equip the saints for ministry. And so it's not something as you're looking for a pastor even where you're saying we're going to hire that guy to do all the stuff for us uh, because either we're too lazy to do it or we don't want to do it or we've never done it before. Uh, but we're actually bringing him on to equip us to do the ministry. The role of the pastor, the role of the leadership is to equip the saints to do ministry. I'm not saying that he doesn't do the ministry. He also has to model it, but he doesn't do it all and we, while we all just sit back. And so it's our job or the leadership's job to equip the saints to do the ministry, equipping the saints for the work of ministry or service 
to the building up the body of Christ. And so he is to build up the body of Christ in equipping other people to do things that the church, the body, the local congregation needs to be doing and needs to be about. And so one of the many gifts of the Holy Spirit is that of leadership, and no church can experience health without the leadership of the pastor uh, that Paul described in places like 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. And so there are characteristics, biblical uh, characteristics uh, that church leaders have to meet to fall into that category, to be able to do that. And so we have to observe those, not because the pastor says so or the guy up front says so or the guy in the back says so, but because God said so. There are certain qualifications that have to be in place for that person to be a leader in the local congregation. And those are things that we have to observe uh, because those are God's standards, not man's standards, when we obtain those there from, from Scripture. So church members who are also gifted, who are gifted and called, serve as leaders, have the responsibility of equipping their fellow members with what they need in order to be who Christ called them to be. So the calling of a pastor or elder uh, is a challenging one, but that doesn't mean that the list is unattainable. And so there are some qualifications that they have to meet uh, so that they can present themselves and, and be used by God in that capacity uh, to uh, minister to the congregation. And obviously, when you look at other parts of the text, he is not here as a, this is, this is my idea and we're doing it. He is a vessel of God listening to God saying, I'm sensing God leading us in the direction how are you sensing? And we together are moving together how God leads the church. And so when you're looking for that pastor, you want a guy who's talking to the Lord. You want a guy who's listening to the Lord. You want a guy who's qualified biblically to be a leader. And so these are questions that need to be asked of that leader. How are you doing these things? How do you lead? Uh, how do you, uh, what is your quiet time like? Are you having a quiet time? Uh, how many people have you led to the Lord? When was the last time? You, all these things need to be things that we're asking our pastor because he's to model those things to equip us to do them better and, and, and grow the church. And so um, biblical leadership is the, is the fourth characteristic of a healthy church. The fifth we'd look at would be biblical teaching and preaching. Um, I, I guess there was a day when you can assume that a preacher, when he said he was a preacher, would be preaching the Bible. Uh, but when you turn on the TV today, that you can see that that's not always the case, that they're not always preaching and teaching God's Word. And so it's, it's imperative that we understand that the preacher is expected to preach the Word of God, not his idea, not his thought, not his, what, he, what he dreamt about, what he thought about. It doesn't matter. He is to be preaching the Word of God. And uh, if we look at the, uh, the actual the text, Matthew 28, 20, it says, Teaching them to observe all that co commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So we're teaching all that he has commanded us. And then 2 Timothy 4, 1 and 2 says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by appearing in his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. So this is very clear in 2 Timothy. He is to preach the word, not just something that he uh, got excited about. He is to be preaching, proclaiming the word of God. That is 
uh, and it needs to be uh, the Bible. So faithful biblical teaching is the means by which Jesus leads his church. Individual Bible study is essential, but it's insufficient. So I can study the Bible on my own, but we're called to not forsake the assembly in Hebrews 10, 25. And so we come together to hear what God has uh, placed on the heart of the shepherd, the one who is leading us uh, as we grow and mature in, our, in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. But it needs to be biblical preaching. So sound biblical interpretation requires time and effort study and training. And so leaders need to be equipped accordingly. And so uh, it's important that we not just get a guy to teach Sunday school or gal. We don't just get a guy to be our pastor. Uh, we're not trying to get off the committee so we have to quit meeting. Uh, we're, we're trying to find the guy that God has for us so that we are sure that he is the guy that God has called us, called to us to teach us and equip us on how to do ministry. That's not always taken into consideration, but it needs to be taken very seriously. Uh, so then we have uh, a sixth characteristic of a healthy church. They'll actually have biblical ordinances. You'll see that in all these, we put biblical because that's how God spoke to us, the Bible. And so we want to make sure that the things we're doing in our worship of God as a church are all based on how he told us and gave guidelines on how we're to do it. So biblical teaching, biblical evangelism, biblical discipleship, biblical now Ordinances. So healthy churches regularly observe believers' baptism in the Lord's Supper as a part of their worship service. And so both are designed to declare and affirm our commitment to Christ and His body. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We're to do this until He comes. And so this is a command that we're to continue doing until He returns. And so because He's commanded it, it's something we practice and it's a way we worship. We remember what Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. The body of of Christ and the blood of Christ shed for our sin. Um, so the biblical ordinances, we see that in Romans 6, 3 through, 8, 3 through 8. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into His death? Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Uh, and so we're, we, 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 we have baptism not because it saves, but, but because it's symbolic of the transformation. We've died with Christ and now we're resurrected in the newness of life to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. And then... Uh, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 29 talks about um, the Lord's Supper. So knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him in order that a body of sin might be done away with, so that we no longer be slaves to sin, for he who has died is freed from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall live also. Now let's get to the Corinthians passage. Uh, for I have received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant, my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. 
For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So we do it because we're remembering, but we're proclaiming uh, the Lord's death uh, until He comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must examine himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. And so these are things that we don't come into lightly. We evaluate our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ every time we have the Lord's Supper. We're remembering the Lord, what He did, His death. We're remembering the newness of life that we have. But we're also evaluating where am I in my walk with the Lord. So this is a way for us to think about where am I in my walk with the Lord. So the Lord's Supper would be a great time also to think about how are we doing health-wise, healthy church. Uh, and so, uh, but we need to evaluate where we are with the Lord and what our relationship is, is with the Lord. So our seventh characteristic is biblical worship. In 1 Corinthians 14, 26, says, How is it then, brethren, whether you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. So the things we do in here are, again, we're equipping the saints, but they're done for edification. We're doing to edify the brothers and sisters in Christ. We're doing these things for edification. And then verse uh, 33 says, of the same chapter, it says, And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. And so things in, in the worship time are done in an orderly fashion. Things are done in a way that glorifies God and not individual people. Things are done to exalt Christ. And so the local church comes together to exalt God. We're to sing, share testimonies of God's grace, spur one another on toward Christ and His Word, and send one another out into service. As long as members are following the biblical instructions for worship, as are found in 1 Corinthians 11 and 1 Corinthians 14, a healthy church is free to enjoy a wide range of variety, diversity, and creativity in their worship, along as it as long as all that we're doing is not contrary to what he's clearly said is not possible or not allowable. And so uh, God is a God of order, and so biblical worship is a part of what we as a healthy church would be or have if we are indeed healthy. The next thing we'll look at is biblical prayer. Every major advance of the gospel in the book of Acts comes about as a response to the people of God praying together. And so the, the, as we think about prayer, are we praying together? Are we praying for our new pastor? Are we praying for the end of this virus? Are we praying for all these things? Are we praying not just individually, which we need to do, but are we praying corporately for these things to be? If we're, We need to be praying together for who our new pastor should be, not who I think ought to be or because I like the guy or because he's 40 years old or because he's 80 years old. It should be who does God have for us at this time. And that's the guy we call, whether I like what he looks like or not, or whether I like what he sounds like or not. It, that, that really is irrelevant. We're praying for God to bring the guy he wants here for you at this time. And so uh, biblical prayer is where we're praying for God's will to be done. 
And so if we desire the same, then we, we, like the early church, we must devote ourselves to prayer, regularly joining with one another who, uh, with both dedication to and desperation for communion with God. Acts 2.42 speaks about biblical prayer. They were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they were continually devoting themselves to these things. It wasn't just a one and done. Well, we had prayer last week for that. We don't have to pray for it again. No, it, as we're praying for the pastor, we're continuing to pray over and over again. Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Who is it, Lord? Uh, it, it's a continually devoting ourselves uh, to prayer and, and seeking God's face and His guidance and direction. And then uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 and 18 say, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. People say, what's God's will for my life? Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you, for you in Christ Jesus. He tells us very plainly right there, I wonder what God's will for my life is. I wonder what, and yes, we want to know what job it is and, and whether all these other things. But he says, rejoice always. Regardless, we have all this stuff going on. Where we're to rejoice always. We're to pray without ceasing. We're to take everything to him in prayer. We're to be praying about everything. In everything, give thanks. Lord, thank you for the air conditioning because it's hot outside. Lord, thank you for food today. Thank you for the sunshine. Thank you for the rain last week. Thank you for help. In all things, give thanks. In everything, give thanks. For this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And so uh, we need to be praying that God's will be done uh, in, in all things. And so our ninth characteristic of a healthy church is biblical fellowship. And fellowship uh, described in the Bible encapsulates all the one another's. Love one another, serve one another, care, teach, admonish, exalt, build up, and bear with one another. Biblical fellowship is about sharing our lives with fellow church members, allowing the, uh, allowing the simplest and the deepest aspects of our days to become entwined. And this is where we have fellowship with other believers. This often happens in the context of who I'm discipling. I'm engaging the church when I'm discipling two or three people. I'm engaging the church when I'm being discipled. And so uh, this goes well beyond a shaking of a hand in a service or saying, hey, fellowship is way more than that. It's kind of like uh, salvation and church membership. It's way more than just joining the church. It's discipleship. It's moving and carries way beyond the congregation uh, coming together. And so... Uh, no one is intended to live the Christian life in isolation, and the lone Christian is just as likely to uh, wither in loneliness as they are to stumble into disobedience. And so uh, just the Hebrews 10.24 passage, spur on one another. Uh, Hebrews 10.25, encourage one another. Philippians 2.3 that we talked about this morning, in humility consider others better than yourself. These are the one another things where we're considering other people. How are we evaluating other people? It's not all about me and what, what, just what God's doing in my life, but how is God impacting other people and how can I help other people take one more step in their walk with the, with the Lord? And so they're fellowshipping. They're talking about what's going on in their world and their job and their life and their, health, and their kids and, their, and everything. And so we have those things and we talk about how God is impacting all those things. So there's biblical fellowship in a healthy congregation. Then this is one we don't really like. Uh, the tenth one we will talk about here is biblical accountability and discipline. Well, I can do what I want to. 
anytime I want to, whenever I get good and ready to want to. That's what a lot of us, even if we don't say it, we think it or we operate that way. And so just as we need fellowship to spur us on into obedience, we need accountability to call us back from sin. And so we need that guy that's discipling us or we're discipling to say, hey, I saw you at certain, certain place. What's going on there? Well, I was witnessing somebody. That may make sense. Or what were you doing there? Well, I, okay, you need to be called back. And so we need to have those people who are close to us that we fellowship with who hold us accountable and are discipling us. Discipleship comes from the word discipline anyway. We're, we're disciplining ourselves away from those things that are not healthy for us or not good for us. And so we have another brother or sister helping us, uh, uh, holding us accountable to things that we may struggle with. And so it's good to have that person say, hey, you should think about this. Here's what I saw. You tell me how this went and what this looks like. Okay, and so healthy churches must be uh, must be where the young in faith can be lovingly enlightened, and where the disobedient can be gently rebuked in a manner consistent with the attitude of the process described by Christ in Matthew eighteen fifteen to twenty. And so I'm going to read that here in just a minute, Matthew eighteen fifteen to twenty. But the goal in any discipline is to bring somebody back or to restore somebody back to their walk with the Lord, not to say. I told you so, you sorry, this, that, and the other. It's to bring them back to walk with the Lord. And so discipline is not a getting on to for the purpose of I told you so. It is a, hey, I want you to walk closely with the Lord, and that's not possible with what I'm seeing going on or what I heard or this, and that, and the other. And so uh, accountability and discipline, very clear in Matthew 18, 15, how we're to handle it. It says, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. Don't post it on Facebook. Don't send it over the internet. Don't do all this other stuff. Hey, I saw so-and-so, yada, 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 this, that, and the other. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. This is the way we handle this. This is the way we should handle this. Maybe this is not the way we are, but this is the way we should handle this. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you. So he's not listening to you. Now you take one or two other people that you're maybe discipling, those other two or three people, and you're saying, hey, we all saw this or we heard this. Tell us what's going on. Again, the purpose is to restore our walk with the Lord, not a, a getting on to or I told you so. But if he does not listen to you, take one or, uh, one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. If he refuses to listen to them, Tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So this is a clear passage of what discipline and accountability in the spiritual of a healthy church looks like. In other words, this is actually practice in a healthy church. Where I'm going one-on-one, -on -one, that doesn't work. I'm going two or three-on-one, that doesn't work. I bring it to the church. That's what it says to do. But we don't, rarely do we see that brought to this, this point. Ah, we'll just sweep it up under the rug and not deal with it. It's typically or a, a way we often handle things. But we need to be showing 
and demonstrating biblical accountability and discipline. Again, for the purpose of restoring, restoring that believer back to his walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Biblical giving. So healthy churches are financially self-sustaining or at least moving in that direction. And so, uh, again, we bring, when we bring our tithes and offerings, we're not bringing them to the, to the church. We're bringing them to God. We are bringing those tithes and offerings to God. God has blessed me. I am bringing that tithe as saying, I am acknowledging that everything is from you, and here is that 10% back. I'm acknowledging that that came from God. And any offering is something that we would give above and beyond the tithe because God blessed us or because we're impressed by God to do that or we know of somebody hurting. And so we, we, we give an offering uh, above and beyond. And so healthy churches are financially self-sustaining or at least moving in that direction. So more importantly, though, healthy churches take generous giving uh, to the cause of the gospel, uh, a regular corporate practice as described in 1 Corinthians uh, 16, 1 and 4. And I'll read that. It says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also on the first day of every week one of you is to put aside and save, he, and he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive, whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem, and it's fitting for me to go uh, also. They will go with me. So biblical giving is the tithe where we're acknowledging God has provided these things for us, but it's also offerings and special events, special occasions. And in many uh, of Baptist churches, world, that would be for missions beyond our reach physically, uh, whether it be out west or whether it be around the world. Uh, we often give so that the gospel, a missionary can carry that gospel elsewhere. And so uh, it's also for uh, use as, as God sees fit and the church identifies uh, within that local congregation. A twelfth characteristic that we'll mention tonight is biblical mission. And uh, congregations must be actively engaged in making disciples locally and globally. It says go and make disciples of all nations, not just my buddies or my neighborhood or my zip code. Uh, it's, it's of all nations. And so we're to engage the nations making disciples. And so every member is to be a disciple maker in the world and healthy churches are both organized and administered in such a way that members are motivated, trained, and equipped to make disciples in whatever God, uh, context God places them. And so we're to be sharing the gospel and making disciples where God placed us. And so at some point there will be missionaries who God will call out from among us, the church, who we send, who we're also supporting, uh, that they go to a place that God calls them to go, whether that's some other place in the U.S. or uh, elsewhere. But biblical missions uh, is something, disciple-making locally and globally, is something we're commanded in Matthew 28, 18, and 20. I'll read that again. It says, And Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's Jesus talking, all authority. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. And then Acts 1.8 we're familiar with too, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so biblical missions will, mission will also be part of how we 
uh, train the nations when we physically can't or are unable or not called at this point to go and do that. And so as we look at these 12, obviously we may be able to identify some more, but these 12 are a good indication. If there's a healthy church, a healthy church is doing these 12 things. And if they're not doing them well, they're working on these 12 things on how they can better do them so they're more effective in their community and around the world. And so I think, it, again, it's important for us to evaluate regularly as we're looking for a new pastor. It's always a great time as we start a new church year, typically in the fall is a good time as we start a new calendar year in January. How are we doing individually with each of these things? Then how are we as a church doing uh, with fellowship and accountability and giving and missions and discipleship and evangelism uh, and worship. How are we doing with these things? And it gives us a gauge to think about and to, and to think through, okay, we need to work on X. Or we, we used to be good at X, but now we need to work on Y. And so uh, I think this, this is a good tool, all biblical, obviously, and we're always using scripture as our guide to what we do, why we do, and what we're doing. We're doing it all to glorify God but how we are doing it, we can always improve it as we seek God's word and seek God, or read God's word and seek God uh, and how he would uh, guide us to be effective uh, and healthy and grow to greater health as we spend time in his word and learn what he's teaching us to do. Let me pray for us. Lord God, you're a generous God and you're a loving God and you're a kind God and you're a just God. And Lord, we are grateful for your word and Lord, we're grateful that you choose to use us, the church, to proclaim the good news of the gospel. Lord, I pray that we would take time to evaluate how our walk with you is going and where we need to improve and how we can uh, equip ourselves better to be better ministers of the gospel. Lord, I pray that, you would, that we would just seek you first, that we would draw near to you, that we would hear from you, and that we will be obedient to all the things you ask of us. And may we exalt your name here in this place and as we go from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.